When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Josh, and you've probably noticed that this very special bonus episode of The Movies That Made Me is dropping on a Friday and not the usual Tuesday. There's a reason for that. If you've listened to the show for a while, you've probably noticed that I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Well, there's a new movie that comes out today in theaters everywhere called Blinded by the Light. It's directed by Gurinder Chadha, who directed Bend It Like Beckham, among others, and it's absolutely wonderful. It's based on the true story of a young Pakistani kid growing up in Luton, England in the 80s. Alienated and frustrated with life, he discovers the music of Bruce Springsteen and everything changes. So I've hijacked the show. I've got Joe tied up in the closet. And for one very special episode, we're changing the name of the show to The Music That Made Me. As we dive deep into the work of Bruce Springsteen with the author of the book the movie is based on, who is also a screenwriter on the movie. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Sarfraz Mansour. And we'll be back next week with our regularly scheduled program. Now here it is, the movies, sorry, the music that made me. I just think any organization that helped elect the current president doesn't need our support. Yeah, but you're, you know, now you're going to narrow it down and you know, you're not going to watch national TV. It's just, what was the thing? That's, we were just talking about that. And then the whole, like, I mean, say what you about Russia. What is it? Didn't they find out that TV news, mainstream media gave him $5 billion in free coverage? Yeah, but that's just because if you do crazy things, you're going to get covered, aren't you? But yeah, but I tend to think that had a much larger effect. Than yeah, maybe. it's. Uh, um, I tend to. Are we? Uh, are we up and We also did this thing where we've probably been recording since you walked in. We like to get people saying terrible things. Oh, really? Yeah, but it never works. Um, <laughs> uh, Libelous things. So far, no. Our big, our biggest scandal so far. The best press we got was when Billy Friedkin came on and badmouthed Exorcist Two. Oh, right. Five minutes, which was hardly surprising. No, is that, um, isn't that, wasn't he contractually obliged? Wasn't that expected of him? Oh, uh, he, he had probably only seen like the first 20 minutes of wow. it. And thought it was just, he said it was the worst movie ever made. Uh, well, here, I'll do, I'll do a little, I don't normally, but I jotted a couple things down. Because um, sure. this is a very different episode uh, of, of our show this week. Um, and anyone who listens kind of knows this stuff, but I'm going to kind of collate it. It's literally the first rock and roll concert I ever went to in my life uh, was Bruce Springsteen uh, in Philadelphia, Darkness of the Age Town Tour. Um, absolutely insane thing because it, it, it ruined me for, for life because not only was it three and a half hours of just incendiary rock and roll, he also, um, the Buddy Holly story had just come out and uh, he was obsessed with Buddy Holly and Gary Busey was in the audience and he brought him up to do Rave On. Yeah. And I think the next 10 concerts I went to, I was just like, whoever those people were, I feel so bad for them. Because like they couldn't, they're like, oh, wait, they only played an hour and a half. Why are <laughs> they not? And, you know, I think I saw the Kinks after that, who were great. But, yeah. you know, 
Uh, but it's my first concert. I've I've talked a lot on the show too about how I think like if you want to learn how to be a screenwriter, you could do a lot worse than studying Bruce Springsteen's writing, uh, the economy of of, of lyric, the, eye, the the eye for the telling detail um, is just amazing. So uh, when I heard about Blinded by the Light, I was a little uh, trepidatious, and then I started hearing good stuff. But I, I have a thing where. What were you trepidatious about? Um, I, I don't, well, first of all, there's been this wave of, uh, um, I don't want to, you know, jukebox movies. Yeah. And there was a fear that somehow this would be kind of part of that. And um, then there's also the thing that, you know, even if the movie's all right, I, I don't like stuff that preaches to the choir. And I really don't like stuff that preaches to choirs that I sing in. And and this is you're really going for this metaphor, aren't you? This you're is like, my church choir. You're like talking. stretching this out. <laughs> I am, I am. But I kept hearing good stuff from the right people. You're like, okay, okay. And then I've got a project going over at Warner's, and uh, a woman there, uh, Blair Rich, uh, who had been involved, I guess, in, in uh, purchasing the film. Um, global head of publicity. Or something. Yeah, yeah, and she was talking about it in a way that those people don't normally talk about it. Tell me what she was saying. Um, she they aren't normally emotional in their effusiveness, you know, they're like, and, and I think, and I, I don't mean this is, I mean, Blair's wonderful. And I, I, I don't know her that well, but I think, you know, the, these folks, they tend to, uh, you like to think they go around to film festivals and look for movies that move them. Yeah. But a lot of times they're, they're looking for movies that check boxes, you know, mm. okay. The audience like this and it's got this in it. It's got that in it. But she really, and I was like, Oh, really? I was like, I need to see this film. And, um, I, I have now seen blinded by the light. Um, and I get perfectly disappointed. It's, it is, I want to have a conversation with the screenwriter of the film about, uh, who's also, uh, the author of the book it's based on and whose life story it is, uh, Safraz Manzur, but, but Saf, right? Saf will we, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, but I, I saw the film last night, um, and I saw it with my wife. Can I give away one tiny line in the film? Yeah. There's, there's some, it's so fucking good. First of all, it's such a, it's a lovely film. It's, it's passionate. It's emotional. It's, um, I would say if you're not a Springsteen fan, your resistance to it will break before mine did. Um, cause I'm sitting there going, come on, man, you got to prove something to me. And, uh, uh, but if you are a Bruce fan, there's so many lovely little tidbits, w one of which, and this isn't just Bruce, a lot of music goobers are this way, but, but it feels like a particularly Bruce thing. Um, at one point he is dating a young lady and his friend says, is she a Bruce fan? And he says, not yet. And my wife burst out laughing. <laughs> can I, tell you, can I yeah. tell you something? When I was, um, when I was going out with my now Matt, now my wife, um, in the early days of us dating, I would play Springsteen songs to her. Of course. But that's that's kind of by and by. But I would always start before I played it with a little introduction. Right. Where I would give a bit of context sure. to the song, where Bruce might have been in his life. Uh -huh. what, so just to look out for a couple of the phrases that you're going to be hearing. <laughs> so I would do these like little mini lectures and right. then say... And now here's Youngstown right? Or, or whatever, you know. And she did actually say to me, God, I miss those early days when you were so passionate. Oh, really? You explain oh. the songs, you know. I mean, God knows why, but I think there is this sort of evangelical bit in people who are, who really feel like they know something special about yeah. someone that they yes. do want to share that yes. out, you know? Well, yeah, somehow you don't want them to have to go through the entire process you did to get to the point where you understand that my sweet Jenny is not a girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in Youngstown, if you will. Um, electric version or the... Uh, oh, the acoustic. Okay, because I'm... I'm 
love them both. I love them both. But that was, I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, I can't wait to hear the full band version. Yeah. But anyway. Once I made you rich enough, rich enough. Rich enough to forget, to forget my name. name. I, you know, I, I, um, by the way, I don't want to get something else in the film, uh, uh, which we're not supposed to be talking about. We're supposed to be talking about music and the music that made you. But one of the things I love too is that um, it, it dove in head first into the politics yeah. Um, and the, politics have, have always been uh, part and parcel of his work, both, you know, in the early days where it was kind of implicit to the far more explicit years. And and I think a lot that that actual line's been running through my head a lot lately because there's a thing that a lot of people, sadly, on um, I'm, let's make assumptions politically here on our side of the spectrum, um, at least here in America, that the kind of liberals do where they uh, – um, you know, they look at sort of the South where people are really hurt and they go, ha ha, you voted for Trump. Ha ha. And it's like, that's not a great way to be, first of all. And and second of all, they sort of leave out the part where, you know, coal ran this country for years and years and years. And those people gave their lives. And I constantly, every time I hear somebody bag on the South, I think of that line in Youngstown. Yeah. From the Nongahela Valley. To the Masabi Iron Range, the coal mines of Appalachia, the story's always the same. 700 tons in the middle of the day, now sir, you tell me the world's changed. Once I made you rich enough, rich enough to forget my name. In Youngstown, in Youngstown. Seven tons of metal a day. Or seeds as well. You know, yeah, seeds. seeds yeah. Uh, but I think he, before he was political, he was empathetical, wasn't yeah. he? And it's yeah. about empathy. Yes, exactly. And it's about dignity yep. for regular people. Yeah. And the irony is that politicians often speak the language of that, but they don't necessarily act like that politically in terms of the right. policies. Yeah. Whereas his music was always about giving dignity to stories and people yeah. who don't often get that in popular culture. And and the evolution into more explicit politics is is only natural because you can't you can only do that so long before you start to. I think he was nervous before, wasn't he? Yeah. He didn't feel like he felt like he was kind of, you know, speaking outside of his comfort zone. Yeah. So even when he did the no nukes, he didn't really say very much. Yeah, because that was the first time he took. But yeah. at the same time, I remember as someone who was you know a huge fan at that point, there was that kind of sense that the politics are there, that it's leaking out of the edges. Yeah. And when he did know nukes, there was a sense of like, ah, he's finally, he's coming out, you know? And he did, he started coming out further and further, um, which is something I've always appreciated because there is a real integrity to that. But there's also this weird thing where, um, the music, uh, you know, an awful lot, th there was a great piece, I think it was in the onion and it was really well written. And for a minute you read it. And if you didn't know it was the onion, you go, is this real? Where it's Bruce Springsteen after the election, deeply regretting that he hadn't spent the last year touring behind Donald Trump and just playing shows across the street from him. Cause if he had, yeah, yeah. no one would have gone. <laughs> Cause there is a crossover there. There uh, is. Yeah, there is. I mean, it's quite, I did find it quite interesting that he didn't speak up as much in 2016 as you yeah. might've imagined. I mean, yeah. he did quite a lot in 2012 yeah. Yeah. and eight, but he didn't so much. And, and I just wondered whether he just felt like there was any limit to how much a rock star could do. You know? I think there's, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, and, and there's also the thing of there's not a, um, uh, you know, in, in 20, in, in eight, 2008 and 2012, he was coming out for someone. Yeah. That's um, true. That's and, true. and, uh, it was pretty clear that, you know, if he had been going out in 16, he'd have been coming out against someone and there's a kind of. And the weird thing is, it's like, 
it wasn't, I wouldn't say this was sort of explicit in the journey of the film, but there is something powerful in its own way to, to make a film and to tell a story where the central characters are Pakistanis. Yes. They are Muslims. They do yes. live in England. And they are from a community that, you know, doesn't necessarily get that much positive praise or yeah. attention or representation. And I have to say, one of the most mind-blowing things for me has been to have people in the States, in, in Utah at Sundance or in LA or New York, investing in the dad and that boy yeah. and the characters and spending two hours actually caring about what happens to these people. Yeah. And, you know, without being disparaging, probably not have actually have had that much actual interaction with anybody from that background themselves. Yeah. And I'm thinking that's the power of storytelling. Oh, for sure. It's that's all about empathy. It's all about putting you in yeah. somebody else's shoes. Yeah. And I just yeah. think, you know, if as a result of watching something like that, you can then watch the news or the next time you see a story and think that these people may not just be the thing that you're seeing on the right. news, but they might actually be people who've got issues with their children or, the, or their dads, et cetera. That's giving somebody a three-dimensional perspective, yeah. which, you know, it's a heck of a thing. And I feel quite, I actually feel quite humbled and moved myself to, to be even small part of that because you can't plan that. That's not something you can, you know, when you're sitting down trying to tell your story, yeah. you can't, it's like Springsteen or it's like the, the, the artist of any form can only do so much. It's, the, it's up to the audience in the end, isn't it? And well, so, yeah. when you read a lot, well, you know, I, uh, you, you see a lot of stuff, you read a lot of scripts where people haven't made the leap of, you know, you have to translate your story in some way into a manner that will connect with an audience. And in some cases, it's just as simple as, you know, it's, it's about a 17-year-old you know, kid who's a little bit lost. It's like, I'm already engaged. Um, and I see a lot of stuff where people are trying to tell their own story, but it hasn't occurred to them that just telling it isn't enough. You are, you're not, you, you, none of us, me, you are not implicitly interesting. Yeah. You have to put a little bit of effort yeah. into communicating to me why I should give a shit. But you know what I thought, and I think this in my journalism as well, that, you know, there's this phrase about writing from the wound. Yeah. And I think it's about going into the pain. Sure. Sure. I really think is, I think that's true with Springsteen. Yeah. Whether it's his relationship with his dad or, you know, it's about going into the place where the pain is and then trying to come out from that to tell stories. Right. And so this story is joyous and it's feel good. And it's all the things that people are saying on the posters, but it comes from some pain. Yeah. It comes from an actual raw feelings. And I think that if you're a writer and you're trying to tell a story and you're honest with yourself in telling that story and, and not running away from that pain, I think an audience, no matter where they come from, can respond to that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then the film does a beautiful job of that. I mean, it's, it's, it is a lovely thing because there are moments where you're like, this kid's life is exactly like mine. And, and then every now and then there's some lovely little detail. Um, uh, again, we're not supposed to be talking about the movie. This is not what we do with the show, but you have like the daytimer. Yeah. Thing. There's a wonderful bit in the film and you handle it in, in the same way. Again, this, this goes to my Springsteen screenwriting thing. It's just a nice little detail. It's, it's a important part of the story, but there's not a huge attention drawn to it. I kept thinking that if, um, if it had been a white writer and a white director, 
there'd have been a little more effort to go, oh, we need to explain this to the audience. And it's like, fuck that. There's just a lovely scene where the main character's sister is going to, it's called a daytimer. Is that yeah. Correct? So let me tell you what I think it is. Cause okay. and then you tell me where, I'm, cause this is the beauty of the film. Yeah. They just go to it and, uh, they sort of throw you and, and it just, it all makes perfect sense. I'd never heard of this before. And it seems to me, is it, is it Pakistani specifically? Or? It's kind of South Asian. South Asian. Yeah. And it's, it seems to be during a school day and uh, a bunch of, um, teenagers go to this club during the day in their school clothes. Yeah. Their parents all think they're at school. Yeah. There's a, a loud, loud, uh, Asian disco kind of pop music playing and they all change into like exotic night garb yeah. and dance their asses off for a couple hours and no one knows about it. They get yeah. out of their system and they go back to their lives. And I just feel like, you know, which was a massive phenomenon. I, I, I mean, that was, it became clear yeah. just watching. And at no point does somebody say, you know, here's what a daytime. No, because basically what used to happen was, uh, and my friend Roops actually used to go to them. I think on Wednesdays in, in college in Britain, it was sort of reading time, free time. Right. Oh, okay. And, so, and so you were technically at college, but you could, you know, and people would have buses. So you were allowed out. People were kind of allowed out. And, both, and people would go to, go to college with, um, you know, with their, with their party clothes in their bag. Then they would, a coach would take them to some out of this yeah. disco nightclub. And for two hours, as you say, they would dance away. Then they'd have to try and wipe the sweat off their face. The girls would have to get their hair back as if it was like they were going back. And then their parents would never suspect a thing. And the reason for that is because none of these people, including myself, was allowed out at night. Right. Yeah. So it's like the human desire to have a good time. Yes. Finding a way through that. And it's, it's such a beautiful scene. And it's so just, oh, we're going to this thing. And they go to it. And you just, you get it. You get it because the characters are treating it like a thing that happens in their life. It's just this lovely detail that that um, and the movie's full of those, uh, which which add to the specificity, but also underline the the universality of it too. Which is which is what Bruce does. Yeah, exactly. Which is exactly exactly, exactly that. So I was thinking about you know you listen to um, the Streets of Fire um, when he sort of says I'm riding down Kingsley. Yeah, figuring I'll get a drink. I yeah. mean I wasn't riding down Kingsley and I don't drink. Yes, but. That specificity links you yeah. and you think, I can see that. And so for me, the miracle is to try and harness the same skill set or the same approach that Bruce does right. for Asbury Park. But say, you know what? I'm going to do it for my hometown. Yes. And you know what? The other, Park, the, the, right? uh, yeah, the other person who, I mean, I'm shooting high. So I'm just because I'm shooting doesn't mean I ain't, I'm going to get there. But right. the other person is actually Philip Roth. Sure. You know? So what Philip Roth does for Newark, again, really specific talking yeah. about his community in yeah. that world. I love Philip Roth. Yeah. And that speaks completely to me because some of the, some of the expectations, some of the pressures, that's very similar to the kind of place that I grew up in. Right. So if one can do, you know, for Luton and Bury Park, what Philip Roth did for Newark or Springsteen did for Asbury Park, if you can at least apply that as an approach, yeah, yeah, yeah there's a chance you might reach a few people. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's funny much when I, uh, uh, my second apartment in Hollywood, I had a choice between a place on, um, I can't remember the one street and the other one was Kingsley Avenue. So I was like, I, I'm obviously, <laughs> I lived on Kingsley Avenue for a year and a half. Well, I'm riding down Kingsley, figuring I'll get a drink. I turn the radio way up loud. So I don't have to fight And I take her to the floor Looking for a moment when the world seems right 
Can I tell you something? So I was in, I was in the States in 1990, which is sort of vaguely mentioned at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was not there. I didn't get a, didn't win a prize or anything. I was actually selling encyclopedias door to door in California. Uh-huh. And um, after having done it for a few weeks, I then traveled from um, California all the way back to New York, uh, back to New York and going via different places. Anyway, we ended up in, at one time I ended up in, uh, in Blacksburg, Virginia. And it was just because one of the guys that I was selling door to door books with, he lived there. So I was able to stay with him. Anyway, cut a long story short, there was a pizza joint there called Backstreets. <laughs> and I asked to get a job there uh, just, just because, because I wanted the t-shirt. Because they had a t-shirt which said Backstreet. So I said, is there a chance I could just work for a couple of days so sure. I can get the t-shirt? Exactly. <laughs> who, who wouldn't? I, I, I don't think that's weird. <laughs> you think they're hiring? <laughs> That's fantastic, man. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I um, uh, it, it is just uh, a marvel of a film. I think it's, um, and and I think it's, uh, I think I think you're gonna do really well. I think you're gonna connect with um, a non-Bruce audience uh, in a way. Like I, I think part of what I want to do is 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 let people who are part of my tribe know it's okay it's safe it's like yeah. other people are gonna go oh that looks fun we're all going i don't know is it it's like yeah man but you know is. here's the thing here's the thing bruce gave his approval yes yes if he's given his approval exactly. surely it can't be that hard exactly. to get yours exactly how hard can it be to get yours if bruce has done it <laughs> it's it's you know i'll trust him 99 percent of the way, more than i would some like i'm not sure how i feel about elton john in that movie. i have a feeling but uh, no but you know I, there's a serious point he's yeah. not into had geography yeah he's not sure. into jukebox musicals yep. he has given 17 of his songs yeah. to a small independent british film yep. that's not about him yeah well it's about the work yeah and it's about how his words touched a character. But in a way, I mean, here's the great thing. In, in a way that, that you know, the recent movies about various and sundry folks are about them that are so, I mean, this is so about um, the man and his work in a way that uh, is, is so much more interesting than any movie could be about his life. Yeah. By the way, there's a great book, which, you know. You could read that if you want, but, but it's, um, and, and in being true to his work, it's about characters. It's about people living a life. Um, and it's so much larger than just, I mean, I was thinking about this, um, the other day, I don't know if I said this to you yesterday, I can't remember. I was thinking this, basically this film is actually a version of darkness on the edge of town. I, you did. Yes. We talked afterwards and it is it very much. That, is. That's not just a lie, is it? That is, it's kind of there. Yeah. And it's, it's, and I thought about it afterwards. Um, it is, it is as light. It is as though somebody decided to make a film to adapt darkness on the edge of town as a movie. <laughs> yeah. Now here's the thing. I, 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 you know, I, I spent a lot of time in the studio system and doing work for hire. And you're like, I, I kept thinking about that. And I'll tell you one place you, you left a big scene out. I'll tell you that. Um, there's no car racing, but, um, <laughs> but other than that, it's darkness of the age of town. But I kept thinking like, can you imagine a world where like the studio hires you to adapt this, this album? And they go, oh, and by the way, <laughs> let's make the main character, main character, <laughs> Pakistani and British. <laughs> <laughs> but and, you know what? And yet that's, <laughs> but can I just say something? And this is like, this is totally honest. Um, I, you know, you were mentioning before about, um, Blair at Warner brothers and all that yeah. stuff. I have been gobsmacked at my experience with Warner Brothers. Have they been great? Yeah, I mean, genuinely, and I'm not just they like, love the film. I, 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 because I had, a, I have to say, I had a bit of a stereotype thinking 
that large organizations are essentially amoral. Right. They're, they don't give up. You know, these are all about yeah. the numbers, yeah. right? It's about product, all that stuff, right? And that if anything like that, that large came towards anything like this, um, they would essentially destroy it yeah. in, in the, in the, for the sake of trying to, you know, get a bigger buck. Yeah. That's just, that was my opening gambit, you know? Yeah. And that's what I just thought. And it's just, it's actually been an absolute revelation how they haven't been like that at all. And in yeah. fact, I think if they had been involved earlier on, the film would be even more uncompromising than it is because they've actually asked for things which are, you know, which are more uncompromising in a way. Right. And it's been a kind of, because I don't understand, in a way I find it so mystifying that a giant organization that, you know, you think about the Warner Brothers sign and what, it, what the work that it would normally involve would yeah. be as interested, would have as much faith in this. It's like, it's such an, it's a massive kind of um, sense of validation. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's just ultimately they, they seem to actually believe in the idea of it. Which is amazing. I, and you start, you know, uh, I wrote a history of violence for New Line. Who, yeah, which is, it is New Line. Yeah. And that was, an, you know, and we did that for them. They did not pick it up. Um, my, my experience was that. Yeah. And that was that was a while back, but yeah. it was it was uh I kept waiting for them. You know, my initial pitch had all these odd dark alleys that it went down, this strange ending that didn't seem to wrap up, and I kept waiting, and they never changed it. We tested um when we tested the film, uh uh afterwards it was really grim. People hated it, and uh Toby Emmerich came up to me afterwards. He goes, We haven't had a movie test this bad since seven. <laughs> And I said, and the next day they had a meeting. They're like, what are we going to do about it? They're like, let's put the movie in. <laughs> They're like, they love it. They love the film. I don't know why yeah. they tested. I guess it was to figure out how to, but that was the experience there yeah, with them too. And that was, is, is they believed in a project. Yeah. And I just find that. And that was, you know, and the hilarious thing is I remember when I was working with it, with, with Grinder at the, at the early days about it, we were thinking about the story and things. And in my real life, I didn't have a girlfriend when I was 16. And Grinder, I remember saying, we need to have a girlfriend because oh, she yeah. needs to be on the poster. Yeah. Well, that's what this. I remember Gurinder saying, "We need to have like a white white girl on the poster." That made complete sense to me, you know. I thought, fair enough. I can see the I can see the economic rationales, and I can see all the real reasons for all that. That poster doesn't have anybody apart from Javed on it. That's so funny, but I, I it clearly, I mean, it serves a powerful narrative purpose too. I mean, yeah, it does. But it's just an amazing character. It does. But yeah. I'm just being literally on the poster. Yeah, it's the just sense him. that they have actually they have out out you know exceeded expectations. Right. In terms of that honesty, which kind of, you know, it's, it's really quite encouraging in that sense. That's so great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because it's, it's uh, so often not the case. Yeah, so, so I've heard. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
Um, do you want to, you brought in a lit, we talked a little bit. We're yeah. gonna, normally we do the movies that made me, we're going to do the yeah. songs that made you on this one. You want to. Okay. Well, I just, I, I, made a, I, I made a few. So I'm going to start with a real, I know you wanted me to do um, deep dives, um, but I'm actually going to start with one, which isn't a deep dive. Okay. It's like the most obvious one, the dancing in the dark. I, is that a, I don't know that one. <laughs> <laughs> I get up in the evening and I ain't got nothing to say I come home in the morning I go to bed feeling the same way I ain't nothing but tired Man, I'm just tired and bored with myself Hey there, baby I could use just a little bit It can't start a Why? Is because I think, firstly, the pop production of it is a very clever disguise for yeah. the utter desperation of the lyrics. Yeah. I mean, that song is about alienation and desperation. It could be from Nebraska. How many, but think about how many of his songs have, you know, those poppy beats and those incredibly, like, are, are you, did you, did you read the lyrics before you sang this song? <laughs> <laughs> it's, and, <laughs> I just think there's a scene in the early, early in the film where Javed discovers Springsteen, and that's the song that they, you know, yeah. he puts on. And it's just, you know, I, I want, you know, I'm living in a dump like this. I want to yeah. change my clothes, my hair, my face. And you think this is the guy right at the end of his tether. Yep. You know, he is like monumentally fed up with his life. Yeah. And I just sometimes feel like the song doesn't get the songwriting respect that it deserves because it is the production sure. makes it sound like it's like a. You know, it's like an 80s pop song. Well, no, he's masterful at that. It's like, you know, you just, uh, born in the USA, you know? It's like, hey, yeah, great, yeah, yeah, solo. Listen to the lyrics, man. It's And the thing about, about, about Dance of the Dark is it had some really good cover versions of Pete Yorn. I think yes. Yeah. Have you had Pete yep. Yorn's version? Yep. It's really, it's like, you know, it brings it out. And um, But he actually kind of, yeah, he plays into the, the, the lyric as opposed yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kind of, he brings out some of that yeah. pain and some of that, you know. Get up in the evening And I ain't got nothing to say And so, I, yeah, so I think that would be one of the but songs. I think the, I would... the, one of the things I liked about that in the film, because I was a little startled, then I read later that um, uh, your, your song had been The River, which is... Yes. And I remember the first time, like I heard that the first thing was in the No Nukes movie, and it was, everyone was so excited. It was like, you'd never seen Springsteen footage before, you know, and, it's, and it was the first time you'd ever heard that song. And yeah. It guts you, but your, your decision to go a different direction was so right for the film. That would have been kind of a... 
Yeah. And what I love about that scene, and I love the way that she shoots it, where she has the lyrics kind of floating around yeah. his head, is that it's about a kid who's, uh, he's keying into it almost in spite of the sound of it. Yeah. It's like he's hearing the words and realizing this guy's singing to him, even though it sounds like this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's basically what it's doing is it's also underlining to people who don't get what the words are yeah. to say, look, it isn't, this Attention. isn't something. There is, there is a reason why this stuff is click clicking for him. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a reason, There's a reason why There are 10 other Dopey dance songs that came out the same week that yeah. no one remembers. But you know that thing you said earlier on about Springsteen's economy of writing? Mm -hmm. The River, which was the first song, that is yeah. a fantastic oh. example yeah. of storytelling. Yeah. I mean, how he condenses that story down into those yeah. words. I come from down in the valley Where mister, when you're young they bring you up to do like your daddy done. Me and Mary, we met in high school when she was just 17. We drive out of this valley down to where the fields were green. We go Youngstown again. Yeah. I sometimes just look at the lyrics of Youngstown, just think he's just managed to get two hundred years of history yeah. into four <laughs> in verses. In yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so yeah, so that's a really good example of cinematic detail. And by the way, two hundred years of history in a deeply personal story is the crazy. Yeah, thing. yeah, the, yeah. With telling yeah. details, you know, yeah. those uh, those smack stack, the, the smoke stacks reaching yeah. out like the arms of God. Yeah, beautiful. You know, like really, really beautiful stuff. And so that's what clicked for me actually. You know, when I listened to the River, I just thought. This is storytelling. Yep. This is a story being told and unfurling. And what I remember is just that feeling of not knowing what's going to happen next. You know, that's the amazing thing when you first hear a song. Yeah. You think, so what is going to happen to these two people? And yeah. oh, what's going to happen with this, you know, on account of the economy? Is it, are they going to be okay after the job goes, you know, the Johnstown company? And that sense of wanting to know ne something next of a story that was unfurling. Another really good example of that actually is reason to believe. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, just a whole bunch of vignettes. Yeah, a whole bunch of vignettes, yeah. Yeah. you know. She said, baby, I work for you every day. Bring my money home with you. One day up and left her. And ever since that, she waits down at the end that dirt road. And I just think that's what I that's what I clicked into this sort of powerful narrative version of storytelling that was put to music. And and they're and they are they they are just slices from lives from lives yeah that that yeah they do leave you wanting more and they leave you wondering and they leave you connecting them to your own but i think also the thing with bruce is that i think he works really hard on the writing oh god yeah. you know so you get the feeling that this is stuff that's like you know it takes a long time what was the dolly parton line you know it's a it costs a lot of money to look this cheap yes and i think <laughs> i think i think with springsteen you know i think it takes a lot of work to say so little yeah 
you know, to just to pare it down like that. And, oh, uh, sure. I mean, you've seen the notebooks. That, yeah. You know, yeah, 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 and yeah. Then there's also fun stuff, like if you're a psychotic fan, which I'm, you know, there's there's times, he doesn't do it so much now, but back in the 70s early, he would um, uh, work songs out on the road and you'd hear him yeah. you know, like drive all night. You know, you'd hear him writing the song every night and the lyrics would change and change and change. And then it comes out of the album. And you're like, oh my God, it's old. Or there'll be snatches of phrases which are in one song. And then From you one find song, you end up in another one. Or yeah. another one or whatever you as well. Uh, so the next song I was going to go for, actually talking about what the first time you saw him, would be uh, Prove It All Night, but the uh, seven, 78 version. Yes, which I have only, and that was at my first concert. Yeah, the incredible like 10-minute instrumental that leads into it. <laughs> One of the most gorgeous things. Ridiculous guitar solo. And I've <laughs> never heard it live again. I must have 50 different recordings. Of it. And he started doing it again. On the, he has uh, recently started uh, on, the, on the river, uh, wasn't he? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was uh, before on the, I think on the, uh, um, the Wrecking Ball. Wrecking Ball, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always miss those shows as yeah. well. But I got to hear it once. And yeah, oh God, it's incredible. And I think that's really good. As it says it in the film, that line about, you know, uh, if dreams came true, well, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. You know, yes. I just make a meal of in the film. I just, I just love that line because it's the opposite of pop music. Yeah. You know, it's talking about consequences. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice? You know, it's, it's, um, and that, by the way, that is the first, because Darkness was the album that got me in and Prove It All Night was the song that got me. And it was somehow, you, know, you go back and it's like, I mean, it's a great song. It's not, it's not the, the heaviest song on the album. No, no. But no. somehow when he did it live, there's a reason he does that one almost every freaking night. Yeah. It's, it's got so much power when he does it's it live. It's very propulsive, isn't it? It's incredibly propulsive. It's, it's incredibly, and, and you used it to such beautiful effect. There's a couple of songs that get really, I mean, I don't want to, because again, it's not a jukebox musical. No. But you have kind of sequences that are, keyed to specific songs but they're they organic them, they're they, organically they're so there. organic yeah. yeah um but prove it all night was just it killed me i was like and you know, i want to say what you were saying earlier um you know to the universality of it the thing that got me watching that film is at no point and you know uh, i could i could i could write my story of those years and becoming a writer and the spring steve at all and i am in no way, shape, or form interested in seeing that as much as there is such a powerful layer added to the fact that you're in another country. Yeah. And that you came to that country from yet another country. Yeah. And that you are not the same race as the gentleman who's writing the songs. Yeah. That adds such a layer to it that, that, um, cause it's one of those things you sit around like, you know, every writer, like I should write about myself. What would I write about? And yeah. I think like, that's not interesting. And that exact same story told about my life is not interesting. Yeah. But what's interesting about <laughs> it is the fact that it's both surprising, but also completely unsurprising. Exactly. Yeah. If you just think about it for five seconds. Not That's even. what I like. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even think about it. When yeah. you watch the film, it's just, of course, and it's beautiful. Cause it's like it, so much of, 
I think any rock and roll appeals to the alienated and the dispossessed. And yeah. It's like, you know, can you get much more alienated than being Pakistani living in England? Yeah. And, you know, in a working class neighborhood. And it's like. But it's also partly the idea of the promised land of America. Yes. You know, yeah. that if you live in a country where you feel like your, you know, your sense of belonging is challenged, yep. which was true for, you know, and it still is actually in Britain, you know, the idea of America as a place where those things are not questioned. Yeah. And which produces this culture and this music and this literature, which is much more open and expansive and generous. You know, I remember thinking to myself, you know, if, if things failed in this, in Britain, I've always got plan B, which was the States. Yes. <laughs> and I just always felt that. And I remember 9-11 changing that. And I remember me and Roop sitting in that cafe, which, which is the location of, uh, in, in the film, saying, you know what? Those guys, they took America away from us. You know, they took away our plan B. Ah. And in a way, it made us think, do you know what? We're going to have to do the best we can in this country because yeah, we've got nowhere else anymore. That stuff is beautifully addressed, even though it's pre-9-11 in the film. There's been so much. There's been a spate of stuff that tries to address what's happening in this country in the most heavy-handed way. And I've seen a lot of period things that sort of like wink, wink at it. Um, and uh, your, your film... You know, you could watch it in a vacuum, be completely oblivious to what's happening in America today, and the film works perfectly. But there are scenes where you cannot help but uh, connect the dots to where we are today that are just kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. And I mean, there's a line, actually, which is, again, completely true and completely authentic, where, you know, the, uh, he wants to go to the States and his dad doesn't want him to go. Yeah. And, and he goes, you know, in, in America, nobody even knows what Pakistanis are. And I remember I was knocking on doors in California, in Yuba yeah. City. And I was a terrible encyclopedia book salesperson because I obviously didn't give a monkeys about selling books. I just wanted to talk to people. Yeah. And so if I met somebody who was interesting to talk to, I would just sit and chat with them and say, you, know, you really don't have to buy a book. I just want to talk to you. And I remember like there'd be people, this was in 1990, and there were people who remembered the summer of love. And I was like, man alive, just tell me what it was like to be in Haight-Ashbury yeah. in 68. Promise you, I'm not going to ask you to buy anything. You know? So anyway, we were just, I always remember walking that. down the streets knocking on these doors and then this couple knocked on uh, opened the door and they were like youngish they were in their 30s they were like clearly more educated and a bit more worldly mm -hmm. and you know i imagine they're now the sort of people people who'd you know be npr listeners and you know that sort of thing and i remember them saying oh you know you, i know you're british but where was your family from and i said pakistan and they were like don't worry we actually do know where pakistan is <laughs> and at that time that was like oh my god you've actually heard of it yeah, <laughs> yeah so that was like a really like i can still remember that moment yeah. do you know what i mean so there is something really innocent about about that moment yeah. and in that time in that, in, in, which the film is set in, which is this idea of America being this sort of, you know, pristine promised land. And Springsteen spoke to that yep. and he continues but to honestly, speak to that. What's that? But I think honestly. Honestly, completely. Yeah. And in fact, I mean, the next song I was going to choose now, have you just, having just had that conversation, <laughs> is um, Long Walk Home. Oh God. Yeah. Half of Magic. Yeah. Which is, um, yeah, that one of those... I, I feel like I thought it was a pretty good record at the time. When you go back now, and it's it's just I think it's a masterpiece. It's just unbelievable. And for me, that's that, the that is the master song, work, is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. that is a song about what happens when idealism disappoints. Yeah, and how you get back. Yeah, and it's kind of hilarious that he was talking about 
George Bush, who we now sort of see as the halcyon days. Uh, well, <laughs> comparatively, I, I don't. But <laughs> comparatively, comparatively, there is a weird thing happening in this country where he's now more popular than he's ever been. <laughs> it's probably because he doesn't say very much. Um, well, no, it's it's a dear friend of mine who passed last year, Harlan Ellison, had a great line that uh, Americans don't know how to hold a grudge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, but that that song about about trying to go back to your hometown, essentially, yeah. your metaphorical hometown. That, you know, was it uh, that 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 flag flying? Yeah, at the church. At the, yeah, at, and it at means the, that certain things. Certain are things set in stone, set in stone who we are, what we do, and, and what, what we, we won't. Oh my God, that again, in a couple of lines, summing up the promise yeah. of America. Yeah. You know, and it just feels, that feels so moving in yes. this time. Well, it's also as, as despairing as that song is, it's hopeful. It's going to be a long walk home. Yeah. It's not like, where is my home? It's not, you know. Yeah, home's not being the song when he gets to his father's house and then oh doesn't my live God, here anymore. My father's, my father's house. house. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. you know, there is a long walk ahead of us, but there is that hope that we yeah. can get there. Yeah. Yeah. Which is there? There's the yeah. offer, the, the the promise of hope, but but just that idea of wound. There's a sense of woundedness, woundedness yeah. in it. Yep. You know, the sense that something has been battered, and I just yeah, that really really speaks to me. And in fact, the other song which I absolutely love, which is sort of again about the American ideal in a way, is "Land of Hope and Dreams." Oh. Um, my my uh, when I when I had to uh, uh, start a production company as you do. When Screenwriter working in studios, you have to start a production company, incorporate. Uh, my company's name is This Train Productions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's so, so, are you in, so your employees, are they uh, losers and winners? And oh, yeah. Whores and gamblers. And gamblers. No, 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 I'm the only employee, so I'm all, <laughs> I'm all those things. <laughs> and sinners this train carries losers and winners this train carries whores and gamblers this train carries lost souls this train Uh, I remember I went to uh, got to go um, uh, every night to the reunion show that he played here in LA four nights and just that that was when he broke that song out the yeah. first time and you, you know there was that fear that like all right they're the best band in the world this would be a nice 
oldies show or yeah, something. And it's yeah. like you hear that and you're like, oh my God, this guy's still got so much gas left in the tank. I absolutely love that. That was 20 song. years ago. Oh man, no, that, that's just, it's, it's got a sense of jubilation about it. And yeah. it's just, I just love the ringing, the, the ringing bell kind of sound yeah. of it yep. and everything. And the little shout out to Curtis Mayfield and all yeah. that. It's, oh yeah, this train. Yeah. Um, so I love that. Um, I'll give you an LA story actually. I was in um, LA in 2001, 2002, something like that. And I sort of know Chuck Plotkin a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, who, because I interviewed him once and we still say his friends. And he basically said to me, can you get to this particular place in LA? Um, and I said, why? And he said, I can't tell you, but you know, could you do it? And so I said, okay, I did. And uh, basically Bruce was recording The Rising at this point. Mm. And I think he was recording in Atlanta. Yeah. In Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. He was recording in Atlanta. But he had a Pakistani Kavali group. Oh, right. For Worlds Apart. For Worlds Apart. Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. were in LA. Oh, wow. Oh, so you... And he said, do you want to go and meet them? And we can, we'll, you can sit in on the recording. But you didn't sing on it, did you? I did not sit. I, so I, I, was, I, was, not, I was not sit. I was not... Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't clapping along on the third bit. But, but no, so I was there and I watched them do yeah. their bit. And he was, I can remember Bruce was saying, just, just go freestyle. Just do what you want to do and I'll, learn, I'll work with you. You know? Right. So they were singing their part and then he started singing his thing or playing his thing in in um, in Atlanta, and so I heard I heard Worlds Apart way way oh, before wow. it got released. And for me, that's a really beautiful song because when I was growing up, my dad, which is sort of in the film, used to basically say, "Look, you've got your own music. You yeah. listen to this guy for you know, be proud of the music from your own culture." And he would talk about Kawali music, which is like a Pakistani version of gospel music. You know, it's very kind of, you know, sure, reverential yeah. and yeah. religious and all that. And he said, that's the music. That's your music, not this guy. And I just feel like, God, you know, he died too young, my dad. But oh. you know, um, he died when I was 23. I was like, oh, my God, what it would have been like for him to, to, have, to be able to show him that actually the sounds and the music that he loved was, right. on, the, was on the same was, was on the same track as the artist that I love. that too I remember when he when he did that that, that didn't have uh there's a great cartoon by um uh, great cartoonist named drew friedman actually drew, drew's been on our show um and it was back when both these guys were doing it, and it's uh paul simon bumping into david byrne oh yeah in the jungles of africa with tape recorders <laughs> and there was always something i'm I, I love david byrne i'm not the big paul simon fan but there also felt to be something how can you not be of, a big paul simon fan i i just i i like the simon and garfunkel stuff I also, anytime you like it comes earlier, up, funnier stuff. Yeah, I like his earlier, funnier stuff. And I love, I know you've read this, that amazing piece, um, little, that interview little Stephen gave about uh, Paul Simon in South Africa. Oh, about, about how, how, how uh, he basically talked to the, God, I can't remember who was the, the revolutionary organization he was working with. He talked him out of- National Congress? I think, yeah, he talked yeah. him out of killing Paul Simon and, because <laughs> oh, he broke the, uh, the embargo. Yeah, you yes. know, and, and all that. but, but I felt like 
there, there didn't seem to be anything kind of patronizing in, in Bruce doing that. There was a, there was no, like, no, it was, organic. Music, it was organic. organic yeah. Yeah. It was organic again, you know? Yeah. Um, so no, that was like that for me, that was a really good example of fusion. Yeah. And you know, the American music mixing it up with, you know, yeah. with, 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 with I, I thought it worked when he sort of did that kind of interesting gospel rap thing. On, uh, yeah. Yeah. So shall I tell you, tell you the next one I want sure, to choose? Yes. Blood brothers. Uh, which version? <laughs> The acoustic bit. <laughs> I want to focus on the words. Yes. You don't want to get too crazy with the guitars and stuff, you know? It's, no, I don't I don't mind the other stuff as well. But no, I just like, <laughs> but I just love those words because again, you know, yeah. what once seemed black and white turns to so many shades of gray. Yeah. We lose ourselves in bills and work to do and bills to bills pay. To pay yeah. I mean, you know, that is grown up like Now I'm out here on this road. Alone on this road tonight. Close my eyes and feel so many friends around me In the early evening light In the miles we have come In the battles won and lost Are just so many roads travel So many rivers crossed and I ask God for the strength And faith in one another Cause it's a good night for a ride Cross this river to the other side My blood brothers Let's go! I've been doing a junket today. People keep, one of the people things people keep asking is, you know, does do the songs mean the same to you now as they did when you were sixteen? God, no. And I said, well, <clears throat> different songs mean different things. Yeah. So Blood Brothers would have meant very little to a twenty-year-old, right? But it means so much more now, you know, because it's got nuance and it's yeah. got, you know, it's got doubt and it's got fragility in it. And yeah. so I just, I absolutely love. No, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. There's something about the the, the the rock version, which he never does, which I really, really like. So yeah, but he doesn't play it very often. He only plays it at the end of a tour. The end of a tour. Yeah, I saw him do it in uh, the end of the Rising tour. I got to go yeah. see Yeah, was that the one where Dylan was there? Yes. I was there for that one. Were you, that was, can we, okay, so <laughs> there's, I'm there with a friend of mine who's a huge Dylan fanatic, and they bring out, it was a long show, and they bring yeah. out Bob Dylan. And you know, we're all freaking out that it's Bob Dylan, yeah. and Dylan was out of his mind that night. It was like, he's playing... They were like, playing Highway 61, weren't they? Well, yeah, it took an hour to figure out that it's Highway 61. Yeah. And my friend was the first guy to get that. <laughs> but I, I love Dylan. I love when he does that. But it's like he shows up at somebody else's show and does And you realize about 28 minutes into the song <laughs> that they're not going to get him off stage. And I have <laughs> never been more impressed with Bruce as a band leader that he managed to play Dylan off and make it look as though yeah. it was all planned. Without just going, Bob, would you cut the shit? <laughs> but the thing about the thing about Dylan is he gives you new and inventive oh, ways. God, yeah. He gives you new and inventive ways yes. to be disappointed in it. <laughs> oh, you're okay. Well, yeah, yeah, but I, 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 I guess I've, I've gotten to the point now where I almost enjoy that. I'm not even disappointed anymore. I'm just no. really interested to see where it's going to go. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think the rest of his band are as well. They, I, know, they have no I clue. I had the craziest <laughs> experience years ago. I got, to, I got to write a movie for Willie Nelson that sadly never got made, man. I got to um, go see him. He was doing a tiny little tour in Kansas of minor league ballparks. And for 20 bucks, you could go see Willie Nelson and Bob Dylan in right. the minor league ballpark in Kansas. And Dylan played the show in Kansas that 
it was like the dream show that you've always wanted that he never plays in Los Angeles. And he never plays anywhere. Amazing versions of like all your favorite Dylan songs. Just Is total- this like some weird urban myth that nobody can sort of verify? No, no, I was there. there. I was there. I was standing there. It was incredible. You're like, oh, wow, this is great. Then you go see him in LA and it's like, there uh. is a, he did do, I don't know if I've he's been recorded. He did play Dancing in the Dark, didn't he, Dylan? Did he? He, he did. Oh he, he did a kind wonderful. of version of Dancing in the Dark. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a bit of a sort of, you know, it's lost in the haze of uh, And then of he myth. does, uh, well, let's say that he does Tweeter and the Monkey Man, oh which God, is yeah. one of the great takedowns of all time. Yeah, yeah. A Bruce yeah. parody, Done With Love. Yeah, well, let's just say it's a Bruce parody. We don't. Know. <laughs> we'll let, leave it to the lawyers as to whether it was done with love or not. Yes. You know? um, okay, let's go for. Um, so this is a song which is not one of his, but okay. I love. Ah. Um, which he's done it a few times. Every time you walk in the room. Ah, the searchers. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Did that at the um i think he did it at the bottom line maybe in it's 75 back in the early days yeah but then he's done it a bit more recently and the reason i've chosen that is because uh, next couple of songs are related to uh, my wife and my marriage and all that sort of stuff so when we got married my wife walked in to the church to the song version by um jackie de shannon ah. and but i just love that and i just think the lyrics of it are just so they're they're just super romantic and his version is beautiful so i think that that's one i wanted to mention and um so now this is a big one. Well, the thing I'd love, oh, before I just, one of the go, things I love too go, go. is that, that, that was a, it wasn't a staple, but it showed up a lot back then. And it's like, he would, you know, as a kid, he was my gateway to kind of that kind of stuff. Not right. his classic rock. Yeah. Cause you're going to do the searchers. Most people would do needles and pins. Yeah. And he takes a more obscure one. And, and I mean, he just so clearly loved that stuff. Yeah. There's so many artists I got into just from. Well, you know, that. I think we've, we've, we spent a bit of time talking now. I feel like I can ask you slightly more difficult questions um perhaps offensive i don't know um where do you stand on john mellencamp um um when 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 he's good he's good i think he's uh i think there's a, an earnestness there i think my sense and is is that um he really wasn't happy being whatever it was that they were trying to make him and i feel like he's one of those artists that at a certain point he started watching springsteen going oh shit i'm allowed to do that um, but I, I, you cause know. he was my, cause Springsteen was my gateway to Mellencamp. Okay. Yeah. He was actually my gateway to Dylan. Sure. Roy yeah, Orbison. Sure. Oh yeah. You know, that world of the people. Cause I just thought I basically made this like a spider's web. You think, okay, Bruce likes these people. Yep. I should check them out. And so yeah. a lot of the other stuff I kind of got into as a result. As a result of yeah. Him. And then, then there comes a, my, my, I remember the moment I was, uh, uh, and then you find out I was a huge social distortion fan. And then reading an interview with Bruce where he's like, oh, social distortion is the greatest. You're like, all right. Yeah. yeah. In fact, there's, this is my only claim to Springsteen fame. There's a video that he put out on um, in one of those concert videos they put on the website when he was touring and they brought out Mike Ness in LA and, and they did bad luck and I had lucked out. I was in the pit. And if you look carefully at the video, you can see 
there's two guys in the front row losing their fucking minds and I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, next one. Slight change of tone. Yes. Walk like a man. Yeah. I remember I mean, I just think that song is so awesome. Would they ever look so... I tell you, so here's a little story for you then. So um, so when I got married, um, when I wanted to get married, my family had real issues about it because I wanted to marry somebody who was not Pakistani, not oh, okay. Muslim and stuff. So she was white and Scottish. And, and so my family basically were really not happy about this. And they basically said they weren't going to turn up to the wedding. And so I had to make a decision as to whether I was going to go for it or not. And I thought about it long and hard. and And eventually I thought, you know, I'm going to follow... You know, to use the Springsteen line about not letting the best of yourself slip away, you know, I'm just I'm going to go for it, and there'll be consequences. But you know, whatever. So I so I went for it, and um, and so my family all said that they weren't going to turn up. And um, uh, the day before the wedding, I get a phone call from my younger sister, and she said, "Look, we've made a decision. The whole family has said we're not going to come to the wedding because we don't agree with it." I said, "Okay, oh. I've I've heard that. You know, I'm upset, but I understand." And she said but I'm going to come and I don't have anybody else. I said, well, why is that? And she, and she said, I could tell, I'll tell you it's because I've been listening to the Tunnel of Love album every day going to work. <laughs> and cause she's become a fan as a result of me. Oh, yeah, well. <laughs> and she said, and I was listening to walk like a man. And there's a lyric in it where he goes, would they ever look so handsome again, the handsome groom and his bride as they step into that long black limousine for their mystery ride. And she said, I just thought, you know, I want to see my brother as a handsome groom. Yeah. Oh, wow. And oh, I don't care about anybody else. You're yeah. going to see me at the wedding. And the next day she did come and she brought my mum as well. Oh. And she credited listening to Walk Like a Man <laughs> for wow. being at the wedding. Oh, my God. That's, that's beautiful. Holy yeah. cow. Oh, I love that. I love that. Because yeah, that's a great line, too. And it's, it's a great a, line. It's... And, uh, you know, that song's got so much maturity in it, you know. There was that thing about, you know, I didn't realize there'd be so many things that I have to learn on my own. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just think, so that's, that's an example of, I mean, you know, the weird thing for me is like, I'm 48 now. And I'm like, I can't believe Bruce was only like 37 when he wrote this stuff. Yeah. He sounds like he's like wiser than God. Well, we, we talked a little about <laughs> after the show, cause the, the movie ends in 1988. 89. Yeah. 89, yeah. And, yeah. and uh, Tunnel of Love. Yeah. He almost, I don't want to give anything away, but it's like, we don't get to him listening to Tunnel of Love. No. And I kept going, well, you really can't. Cause then you, cause like this kid who's younger than I was when that album came out, but not by a whole lot. Yeah. Tunnel of Love was, you know. It's going to bum him out. When it comes out, you're like, <laughs> you're like, oh, this is okay. It was a, it seemed like an odd direction for him and there were some songs i really like spare parts is still one of my favorite yeah. songs and lyrics of all time but 
I listen to it now, and I'm like, oh, that that might be his masterpiece. I think I genuinely I agree with you. But you have to have been married. Yeah, you have yeah. to have had some bumps in the road. Yeah, I would argue I, 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 having been divorced helps. Yeah, yeah. is that why <laughs> but, you did it? Uh, yes, <laughs> it is not why I did it. Um, um, but but I I still I can't get over. Uh, at some point in time, that man came home and said, "Honey, I've written this song. You want to hear it?" And he played "Brilliant Disguise." For I his know. Wine. Oh my god! Like, are you? Yeah, are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> <laughs> but then he had the temerity to dedicate it to to Julie. Uh, and, then, and then he, <laughs> but then he goes out and he plays it with Patty every night. And it's, it's such an interesting thing. Is, don't you think and the other thing actually about that is the video for Brilliant Disguise oh god yeah. I, again I watched that in 87 and this is a time when wasn't Martin Scorsese directing Bad or something or yeah yeah Scorsese's know, doing bad and yeah you know so this is big budget you know the big stars are doing these big massive yeah. kind of things I think it's the year of Sign of the Times you know with yeah. Prince and yeah. stuff your man Bruce basically looks like he's sitting in his kitchen yeah. in a lumberjack shirt yeah. with one shot in black yeah. and white. Yeah. And, and the singing only thing, it live. Singing it live. <laughs> and all he's doing is the camera just moving slowly towards him. Yeah. And he's doing a live vocal. Yeah. I mean, that just breaks every rule of 1980s pop music it, videos. Yes, it does. It does. And, but the other, the one that I also think about the rare two that we're just jonesing out here is the uh, uh, Tougher Than The Rest one. Where, yeah. You're like, you know, that's it's, a live one. That's like a live. It's version. live yeah. and it's him and Patty. And they're just, I've, it's one of the most incendiary, sexy performances between two people who are not married yeah. and not supposed to be looking at each other that way. <laughs> You're like, when, when the news broke, was yeah, there, that, it, no one's surprised at this. I know, <laughs> but I just find that album, as you say, that's the album that you can return to again yeah. and again, isn't yeah. it? I mean, if you think about one step up, you know, when I look at myself, I don't see the man I wanted to be. Yeah. Somewhere along God the line, I slipped off track. God have mercy on the man I mean, who doubts what he's sure of. I mean, <laughs> where does this stuff come from? It's utter, utter genius, yeah. that album. Well, he's reading a lot. Yeah. I'll tell you the other song I actually love from that era, which doesn't get that much attention, is Two for the Road. Sure, from the, yeah, the B-side of Yeah. I used to be able to pull this stuff out. But Tunnel of Love, maybe? It's all, it's, it's one, no, I don't think. Was it was it like, a B-side of Brilliant Disguise? Something like that. It was yeah. in one of the ones. Yeah. That's a great little it's a, song. Yeah. It's so romantic. Yeah. You know, 1,000 Dreams Whispered in the Dark. Yes. You know, <laughs> uh, two one-way one, one tickets and a diamond ring. Hell, it don't matter what the rain might bring. When the world treats you hard and cold, stand beside me. I'm two, four, two, four, two for the road. When you're alone, my love will shine the light Through the dark and starless night I'll hold you close and never let you go I'm on now, girl, cause we're too far the road Well, it's too get ready, babe, come on, let's go Tell me, girl, we're too far the road 
I mean, that's just so beautiful, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's an, that is just a little gem of a song, which I remember actually hearing. I think he played that on the Devils and Dust tour. Uh, oh, I'm sure he played almost everything on that. Yeah. 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 So that was like, that was really, really lovely. Well, that's the other thing, too, is that he writes those amazing songs that then just don't end up on an album and, yeah. you know, throws them away, which okay, I'm, 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 I don't even... It's, <laughs> You know, you cheat one song in the movie, but uh, with with one of those, which I'm I'm sitting there and, and going, he didn't record this until 2014. Well, Promised Land, um, the Promised Land. No, no, no. Oh, no, that that was. I was okay. No, I'm, I'm fine with that. No, one part he listens to because of the night. And it's it's. Uh, no, hang on, that's on the live box set. It's but it's not the live version. You played the version off the Promise, which oh, okay, we're going we're going deep okay. geek. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, can I just say um, this is where it's really good to be able to blame Gorinda. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> but it works. It's great. Although I kept thinking, like, would it be great if you had the Patty Smith one? But then you have to explain, and then you're yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so the next one I was going to choose. I don't know how we're doing for time, we're f- but um, I don't know how we're doing. We're- but I um, the next one I was going to choose was the acoustic, the Promise. Ah, because yeah. you talk about songs that didn't turn yeah. up anywhere for yeah. a while. Yes, I just think that's one of his great songs. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, say that the, the the electric one is amazing as well. It's, it's and for me, I don't know what you think, but for me, that song is the bridge between Born to Run and Darkness. Yeah, because it, it's it's sort of he refers to Thunder Road. Yeah, exactly, and, it, and it's sort of kissing a goodbye in a way. Yeah, like he's kissing a goodbye, but it's that sense of betrayal, sense of disappointment. Yeah. Something has basically pissed him off, and he's sort of you know, so it's got that which is obviously the sort of themes of darkness, right? But he's still talking about Thunder Road. And, um, yeah, I just think it's an epic song. And for me, there, uh, you know, that, there's a line in it, which um, I hit it big once, but I paid the big cost. Sometimes uh, I hit it big once and I paid, paid a big cost. Inside, I carry the broken spirits of all the all other the ones. Other, all the other ones had lost. Yeah. And I just think if there's a way of summing up Springsteen's work, carrying the broken spirits of all the other ones who lost yeah. is there. Yeah, and actually, that's kind of what I was trying to do with this film. Round big once and I hit the coast Yeah, but I paid the cost Side I felt like I was carrying Broken spirits of all the other ones who'd lost The promise is broken You go on living But steal something from down in your soul when the truth is spoken And it don't make no difference Something in your heart runs cold The thing about, you know, towns like the one I grew up in is most people don't leave. Right. Certainly most people don't write books. Nobody makes films about them. And, you know, people like my mum and dad, they just lived lives in complete obscurity and anonymity. And I just think that storytelling, whether it's Springsteen songs or whether it's scripts or films, you know, if you can sort of talk about the other ones and yeah. carry the broken spirits no, there of the are other people ones who already. lost. I'm thinking about Luton the last 24 hours, which, you know, no offense That's not a sentence. Town. That is not a sentence you <laughs> thought you'd ever say, is it? No, it isn't one you ever thought you'd hear out here in Los Angeles. You know? I know. It's, uh, it's amazing yeah, to me. Yeah. It's absolutely hilarious. But I do think that for me, that's just like in terms of when you think about the North Star, when you're trying to work on things, whether it's a script or whether it's work of any form, you know, I think, there are worse things to have in your mind than you're trying to carry the broken spirits of the other ones who lost. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know yeah. and i just think that's, so that's one of those i just think it's a great great and not even intended that way but it does feel like a mission statement that's what i'm saying i think yeah. of it as a mission statement yeah you know but not in an explicit way like is this sentence going to do that it's not like that yeah but it's more like the strategy and the approach that one takes in things you know yeah, for sure and for sure. it's again it's back to what we were talking about before it's about empathy yeah you know it's and it's about humanizing people yeah and uh for me like one of the most you know, incredible things is that, for example, you now know a little bit about my dad. Right. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know a little bit about my mum. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? It's amazing. Here it's you awesome. are in Burbank in LA, and you know that my Not mom, by choice. Not by choice. You know, <laughs> you know that my mum made dresses until midnight and that my dad yeah. works in a car factory as a result of a film that yeah. we've made. I mean, that's, that's kind of magical to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's beautiful. And it's, uh, um, you know, I, I, it is ultimately, I think, why, unfortunately, it's not why all of us do what we do. It's certainly something that sort of drew me to, to telling stories and clearly you. Um, but uh, there's a great line. I think it's even from the Bruce episode. I could be wrong. Uh, Elvis Costello had a great show for mm, us. Spectacle. Spectacle. Yeah, yeah. And in one of the songs, uh, he was singing, he put it so well because it's like, I, I do... You know, there's always that notion of like, you're not going to change the world with a song and you're not going to change the world with a movie. And he has a line there, like a song can change your heart. Your heart can change your mind. It's a process, you know, and that, that yeah. has always stuck with me. Cause it's like, you're not going to write a movie or a song that's going to make somebody go, oh, wow, I'm going to change who I am. But you can put people in shoes they never thought they'd walk in. Yes. And if you do it right, if you do it in a way, cause I, I always feel like if you do it in a way that, that is patronizing, is condescending, that tries to this awful thing we're still doing in my business um of treating stories about anybody who's not white as though we are uh archaeologists yeah and it's like, or anthropologists or anthropologists i'm saying yeah and um um uh, I'm, I'm good with words and um uh that's such an awful way to go about it you know, yeah we're going to teach you something yeah and you know if i if i had felt like i was going to be taught anything by blinded by the light i would have headed for the hills you just told a story yeah. it's about in. not being worthy yeah. It's about not being earnest and it's not about being worthy and it's about having confidence in the story itself yeah. and just sort of saying, this is who we are. And, you know, it's not like it's, nobody's doing you a favor. You're not doing anybody a favor to watch it. It's actually, yeah. it stands up on its own terms. Yeah, exactly. We're you know? doing you a favor by showing it to you, pal. It's, yeah. It's, uh, you know, and I think that, but I think that's partly coming from, if you come from that world, yep. you don't have to have those things. Cause it's not like there is no sort of, you know, liberal, you know, white, do-gooder trying to do, trying to help me out you know what i mean this is actually Driving my own I, gigs. yeah so it's about it's about owning the story yourself yeah and saying you know what it's actually quite a good story you'd probably yeah. be doing yourself a favor to get into it yeah it's not about that yeah. so i think there is a there is a bit you know i think there's a bit of that in there as well there's also too, it's one of the things i love about the film that that is so true in spring season music and i think it's one of the things you know i lived in england for a year i lived there from 79 to 80 uh, was, so you saw Thatcher coming in. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I also, I saw the clash in London on the London calling tour. Oh my God. And I was convinced, and this sort of goes where I was saying, I was convinced I got there too late because like punk was over. Yeah. And there was a punk rejection at the time of, of, uh, of Springsteen's music in yeah. spite of all the connections that are there. And but Joe Strummer became friends with him. Yes. And he wrote that lovely letter, which yeah. I just, but, but, and I think he got it from the get go. But there's a sincerity there that can be almost frightening to some people. There's no ironic distance yes, to his music. Absolutely. Which gives so many people a safe place to hide in a yeah, song. Yeah. And and you know, he doesn't have that. And there are 
moments in the film, uh, moments, the entire film, but there are moments that are just so raw and true and bare and unashamed of their emotion and yeah. the honesty of them yeah, yeah. that it's like, it's, it's beautiful. It's but I mean, you're right. It's a completely uncynical yeah. work. And so is Springsteen. And I think what's interesting about that is that generally that's not seen as cool. Right. You know, exactly. the nihilists tend to get the best tunes yeah. and the best press, don't they? Yep. And I remember in the 80s, you know, a lot of the people I was with, the cool kids, they liked Morrissey. Right. They're like the Smiths. Right. You know, who basically just said, you know, life's crap. What are you going to do? Right. You know, hey ho, let's um, let's just get let's get miserable for a bit. And he's turned out to be a lovely person. He turned out to be a gorgeous person. <laughs> you know, um, hugely inclusive and welcoming. Yeah, I want to see his blinded by the light. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think that um, I think he'll be blinded by white light. You yes. Know? And I think. Although, do you know this? We actually we had another guest on um, who said apparently over here at least he's there's. Mexican teenager. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, wow, this huge. was news to me. I yeah, did not know that, like, worship Morrissey for some yeah, reason. Yeah, no, no, apparently that's been going on for a while. But yeah, but that, that's a really good example of choosing the right hero. Yeah. Can you imagine how embarrassing it would be yeah. to be a Morrissey fan now? Yeah. yeah. You know, given how he's turned out, you know? Yes. But the point is, he had a very arch, knowing, yep. distancing kind of approach. Yep. Which people love. Yeah. Whereas Bruce just says it as he means it. And something that people, that earnestness does pe put some people, people off. Yeah. Personally, I like it because I kind of, I wanted, you know, I like music that has some utilitarian value in some mm. ways, you know? And if he just says, talk about a dream, try and make it real. That's like, that's a set of instructions you can follow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you can't, you can't be arch about that. You, you can't, can't be, be arch ironic. about it, you know? And, um, but I think what's really nice is that when I was getting into him, he was not that cool. But his, it's turned around now. He's yeah. like, you know, he's now beloved, isn't he? Well, there was always, yeah, no, he is. There was always one because I grew up in Philadelphia. I mean, I've been to the Stone Pony. It was a 45-minute drive. You know, it was not a, and even then, there was a kind of, as popular as he was, there was still a kind of, you know, in the 70s, even like late 70s, it was still kind of like, eh, really? Yeah. From a lot of people. Yeah, he sort of graduated to this. By the way, can we do to, uh, the new album? Yeah. Holy shit. You don't love it. I, I, I tell you what it is. I've been so busy with this world. Okay. Like I, I normally need to like sit down and just listen to it on repeat. Yeah. So I've listened to it a few times, but I need to listen to it a lot before I can get, get into it. Um, I'm loving Hello Sunshine. And I love, sure. I love um, the Moonlight. Moonlight, Moonlight, Moonlight Motel. Motel, Moonlight Motel. But I haven't just, I need to study the lyrics. I need to get oh. deep into it. Um, so I haven't really fully got into it to make a view on it yet. Um, it probably I, helps that I'm like um, an aging refugee from the movie while well, I'm still in it, the movie business who lives in the canyons above oh, a sunset yes. where occasionally coyotes do strip across my veranda right. with someone's chihuahua. You thought it was a documentary. <laughs> it's, it's, a little, it's a little specific in some <laughs> ways. I'm like, oh. Here in the canyons above sunset The desert don't give up the fire Coyote with someone's chihuahua and its teeth skitters Cross my veranda in the night Some lost sheep from Oklahoma Sips her mojito down at the whiskey bar Smiles and says she thinks she remembers me from that Commercial with a credit card Hell, these days are ain't no more Now there's just a Like the western stars are shining brighter again. 
I think it's beautiful. I'm going to choose one more song and then I'm probably going to. Okay. Um, um, long time coming. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like that? Beautiful song. Yes. I think that's another example of like, you know, slightly more later period. Yeah. And then these albums just have these absolute total masterpieces. Yeah. Each of these albums has one or two cold, absolute masterpieces. Yeah. You know, for me, that's an absolute one. It's gorgeous. It's it's one of, you know, I, I remember um, uh, a girlfriend of mine in college uh, saying once, um, I was really happy because I got her into Bruce and she got so in, she said, you know, someday he's going to write really amazing songs about having kids. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, now down below, pulling on my shirt. Yeah, I got some kids of my own. If I had one wish, And it's funny because isn't Valentine's Day? No, which is the one where is it Valentine's Day where he's going to have a kid? Or he's this one? There's a song that he writes like before he had children, uh, which was about them. And I was like, it's quite interesting how there's another. There's know, a couple, yeah, where yeah. he's writing about having kids before he's got them. Yeah, and yeah. Then well, he has them. My hometown's becomes... kind of about that. Sure. You know, but that yeah, yeah. But yeah, but but I think what I love about um, Long Time Coming is this idea about what do you pass on to your kids? Yeah. You know, so you think about Adam raised a cane. Yep. Or you think about Independence Day, and those are songs from the child's point of view in a way, the son's yeah. point of view, looking at the dad. And then you've got something like Long Time Coming, which is the dad looking at his kids. kids. Yeah. And there's yeah. just something really beautiful about that. You know? I wonder if he's ever now mentioned did you were like like I think like a lot of us, I, mean, I was surprised that I love the song and I could sing the entire thing straight through, but the realization that Independence Day was a father and son dialogue. Yes which he only talked about in the book and I'm reading, I'm going, holy shit, it is. It never, kind of like that Cat Stevens song, Father, Father and Son. Father and Son, yes, yes. And uh, it just occurred to me as you said that, I wonder if he's ever going to write a song that's a, a father and child perspective as now that he's a father, you know what I'm saying? He wrote that one as a son trying to capture a father's yeah, voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if he can still. <laughs> I, I mean, what I love about it is this sense that, you know, he's done, what I love about that compared to, say, for example, Adam Raised Decane, because in Adam Raised Decane, he says, you know, um, uh, my, my daddy walked to see, walked the streets looking for something to for blame. Someone to blame. blame. You inherit the sins, you inherit the flames. You know, this yeah. idea about the legacy yeah. that having a damaged father passes right. on. And then in Long Time Coming, right, it's the line. He says, If I had any wish in this godforsaken world, it'd let your mistakes be your own. Yeah. And I just think, man, alive, that is, you know, what an, what an amazing declaration of love that is. Yeah. Well, and also what a, how interesting to see somebody like that. Cause an awful lot of rock stars don't actually learn life lessons along the way. Yeah. They learn how to get the dead hookers cleaned up or whatever it is, but, yeah. but you know, he's clearly lived a life and yeah. And he's got, but, and that's what, that's an example of where you can grow older with him because his music is maturing yeah. with you as well. And so when, you know, one of the people keep saying to me, oh, you know, the music, how is it different for you? And I just think, you know, he's now going to be nearly 70. And in the way he still is a role model, he's still an example. Yeah. 
because he's an example of how to still stay friends with the same people that you've been teen since yeah. you were teenagers. Yep. You know, he's got like, um, he doesn't live that far from where he grew up. Yeah. You know, so he hasn't really lost it and he's still pushing it creatively. Yeah. So, you know, he's touching 70 and he's still, I think, is an inspiration. Yeah, for sure. And that's a heck of a thing to say about well, and, and learning things in a way that, um, I mean, I can remember the first time I heard the song, I was like, oh, that's nice. Um, uh, you know, cut to several years later, I'm getting married and we've got uh, your friend of ours, an amazing singer singing If I Should Fall Behind as my wife comes down the aisle. He's like, that is one of the most, not just a beautiful love song, but kind of like, what a simple way to look at how you maintain a relationship. You know? Should I tell you something? I'll, I'll wait for you. Yeah, I'll tell you something. So when I got married, my friend Roops, who's in the film, he did a reading during the wedding ceremony and the reading he did was if I should fall behind. Ah, fantastic. That's lovely. I got to see. I will, I will call her and see if she'll let me play a clip of it. Um, do you know the singer Maria McKee from yes. Love Justice? She's yeah, a yeah. dear friend of ours. She's, she's the one who sang it. And it was just, I have an audio and video of it. It's just exquisite. We said we'd walk together. Maybe come what may. Let come the twilight. Should we lose our way? If as we're walking, a hand should slip free. I'll wait for you. Should I fall behind? Wait for me. Oh, yeah, that's a song that the first time you hear, somehow you're like, eh, okay. But it's, it's this instruction of how to, and, and is there a simpler instruction of how to maintain a relationship than, you know, I'll, I'll wait for you. And should I fall behind? Wait for me. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's sort of, it's, it's somebody saying I'm in it for the long haul. Yeah. I'll put up with your shit if you put up with mine. You yeah. know, it's, uh, I don't think it would have been quite as poetic. No, it that. definitely wouldn't. <laughs> that's, that's why I'm doing a podcast and he's inspiring you to write great <laughs> movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Saf, that feels like a great way to, to cut out, I guess. Um, well, was that fun for you? <laughs> that was that was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in. Um, I urge people if if we're uh, uh, I, I have grand ambitions. Hopefully, this uh, you'll probably be hearing this the day the movie comes out, um, which is August the sixteenth. August the sixteenth. Yep. Uh, go see it. It is it is stunning. I I would. Um, I would be nice. I would be polite. This show would have probably been 45 minutes instead of whatever the hell it was. And I wouldn't be sitting here and go see the goddamn thing. And we never do that. We never plug new movies here. It's more, but, uh, it's a beautiful film and you have, as I don't need to tell you this, but you have uh, much reason to be proud. Well, it's been fun. It's been fun to, to, to delve, to delve into the Springsteen, um, uh, archives like that and yes. to talk about it. And, uh, yeah. I and mean, I think the key thing is just, you know, it's, it's, the film was made with so much love so for his clear. music, you know, and it's like, you can, you can probably just, it's palpable that we knew what we were doing yeah. and we were treating it with reverence. Yes. And, um, but you translated, I think to people who are like, I would say, take take your friend who's, uh, uh, not the big Bruce friend. Take the Bruce agnostic. Take the Bruce agnostic of your, of your cho choosing to the, see this film and, uh, watch what happens. So <laughs> anyway, thank you. Thanks, Congratulations. Man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Our show is recorded in beautiful downtown Burbank, where the official podcast of Trailers from Hell, the best damned website in the world. 
Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, and our theme song this week was written and performed by a young man from New Jersey who really think will go far. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made It. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.